Welcome to Enemies from War to Wisdom. Why do we need enemies? From intimate relationships to politics, tribalism, and community, we cannot seem to stop dehumanizing each other. Chronic conflicts in our families, societies, and nations seem inevitable. In this podcast, we analyze human hostilities from the most mundane to the most sophisticated. We apply psychology, psychoanalysis, art, spirituality, and relational theory in conversation about belonging and otherness. Each program will reach for a fresh wisdom that shows us how to step back from creating enemies in our lives. I'm your host, Eleanor Johnson, a videographer and artist with Emma Troop, an experimental theater group in New York City, and I am here with my co-host, Polly Young Eisendratt, who is a psychologist, Jungian analyst, author, and speaker. We approach our ideas each from our own worlds, but always from the spirit and teaching of Buddhism, of which we are lifelong practitioners. In today's podcast, we're going to be speaking about speaking the truth kindly. To maintain a truthful, kind attitude toward self and other, no matter our difference in points of view or beliefs, is the goal of this podcast from War to Wisdom, and it is a wisdom path. In today's podcast, we'll return again to the way we speak to ourselves and to others. We will discern the difference between speaking truth from speaking from a place of judgment, that which judges what is right and what is wrong within ourselves and with others. In order to speak the truth kindly, we have to first understand what truth means in the reality of being homo sapien, living in an imperfect and impermanent world. For example, no human being is amazing or perfect. Moments may be amazing and perfect, but they will change. We'll also explore synonyms of kindness, not as it relates to being nice or sentimental, but rather to attributes of courage, affection, benevolence, or grace. As I said earlier, maintaining a truthful, kind attitude towards self and other, no matter our difference in points of view or beliefs, is our goal on the path from war to wisdom. Welcome, Polly. Hi, Eleanor. So we're returning today to the topic we've talked about a couple of times in terms of the ways that we speak, and especially and I, I know we emphasized this in an earlier podcast, the ways we speak to ourselves, because the ways that we're speaking to ourselves, and sometimes we're not paying much attention to it, actually become a kind of practice for speaking. And so, you know, if you speak to yourself in a harsh tone, mm-hmm. if you underestimate your abilities or you underestimate your virtues, for example, you're speaking to yourself falsely. And then you may easily and quickly speak to somebody else in that way because you've held up an ideal for yourself that you never feel you measure up to. And so it is, in fact, then an impossible ideal. And then you hold it up for others as well. So, you know, that that sort of slippery slope of what I, what I call negative self-importance you know, where you are critical of yourself and see yourself always as falling short of what you want or or what you should be like or what you should look like. So we talked about appearance uh, in the last podcast. That slippery slope actually leads to you speaking falsehoods to yourself without even knowing it. And I think that's uh, something that you know, has only come to me in these recent years as I have 
thought about the issue of speech practice. Mm -hmm. uh, and I use it in doing psychotherapy with people. And of course, I use it in dialogue therapy. And of course, I use it in my own life. So, you know, many people do not believe that speech is very powerful. You know, it's like sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. I don't know who made that up, but it's completely yeah, wrong. Children. Right, <laughs> yeah, right, it's completely right. wrong, you know, because I can tell you that words. It helped us with our vulnerability back then. <laughs> maybe it did. You know, it's funny because also maybe when we're children, yeah. the words don't mean that much right, to right, us, right, you know. Right, yeah. But I can tell you that in therapy, both in the couples therapy and in individual therapy, words that have been spoken yeah. echo for they the wound. decades. Yeah. Yeah. And especially the words that cause us pain, that cause us suffering. I, I mean, even recently, I heard a couple talk about a conversation that they had had 30 years ago. The man brought it up because he felt in that conversation that his partner had failed to actually notice his kindness and to notice how he was offering help. And when he brought up the conversation and he relayed it to her, and she had to paraphrase it in the framework of real dialogue, you know, and she got the paraphrasing. Yes, he said, you got it. She said, I had a completely different experience. That wasn't the way I experienced the conversation at all. And then she proceeded to tell him the way that she had experienced it, and he was shocked. Sure because he had held on to these his own understanding of the words that she had spoken and her memory of it was that she never spoke those words so again it what i'm trying to emphasize here is that speech is powerful and on the buddhist path as you know when we do our repentance ceremonies and we say whatever it is however we say it in in the tradition i learned it it's it's all evil deeds committed by me since time immemorial in body speech or mind so it's not just body or mind but speech is considered an action because it has major consequences and, you know, we're in a period of time now where there's so much false speech on the internet, on all the social media, and where people actually both promote themselves and demean themselves falsely. You know, I think a lot of times on Facebook, people are promoting their personal lives, their families, sometimes what they eat, weirdly enough. Um, and, you know, by taking, taking pictures of what they're eating <laughs> right. and they're promoting this as this is amazing. This is extraordinary. This is wonderful. Whereas you said in the introduction, you know, there are moments that are wonderful. There are times maybe even that last for a while that are wonderful, but then those fade. And even when we eat a good meal afterwards, we might feel uncomfortable from it. Impermanence. It's the impermanence. Yeah. Things change. And so, you know, in the false speech of today, it's self-promotion usually or negative self-importance that I believe leads to some of the worst of our outcomes. Uh, now, of course, in the media, and, you know, I don't even like to speak about the media anymore because 
I don't know really which media ever to trust. I know but it's a very, very confusing, very confusing, time. and and designed also, I think, to to create the kind of chaos that we're in. Yeah, well, in that speech, yeah. Yeah. it's speech exactly. that is usually the culprit. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there there are photographs yeah. and there yeah. are images, but, but mostly today, it's speech it's speech. Really, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you know, a lot of people now are talking about how they're becoming more mindful of what they what they say before they say it because you know it's creating so much controversy. Well, yes, and, and in any moment, yeah, it can yeah. create so much harm yeah. to say something. So we're going to unpack it a little bit. And what I'd like to do since we, you know, since in our one of our recent podcasts, actually the last one, we talked about what the Buddha taught about hatred. I'd like to review just a little something on that before I turn to the speech practice. And then we can go into the issues of kindness and so on. Kindness is something that's hard to develop. It's not, it doesn't come easily. So, you know, as I mentioned the last time in one of the important Buddhist texts uh, called the Dhammapada, the Buddha says uh, in this translation, which is the Gil Fronsdale translation I was using last time, he says, wisdom arises from spiritual practice. Without practice, it decays. Knowing this two-way path for gain and loss, conduct yourself so that wisdom grows. And I think in regard to speech, this is especially important because I don't think many people have the feeling that their wisdom may actually be lost if their speech becomes really sloppy. Mm. You know, that they're going to be diminishing their wisdom by saying things without reflection beforehand or saying things that have consequences that uh, can be harmful. So I, I wanted to go back to this idea that wisdom is not some sort of permanent state of mind. It's not the same thing as knowledge and information, but it can be cultivated. And the way I see wisdom actually is that it's a deep embrace of the implications of the truth. Mm -hmm. And that truth can be found. I don't think truth is just relative to a situation. I think there are truths that are universal in samsara, in the world that we're in. And I think one of those truths that is universal is that speech is powerful. It leaves a big mark on people in situations and that it, it shouldn't be used lightly and casually. You know, in in some of the Buddhist traditions, even silence is valued much more over speech. But I would say silence also, you know, can be cowardly. It can be just a way of escaping. So it's not always, silence is not always golden. Yeah. You know, it can be, it can yeah. be cowardly. But speech is powerful. So that's what we're going to be talking about. So I want to talk about the, the actual speech practice that I follow uh, from the Buddha's teachings. And as I said, I use it in psychotherapy. I don't tell people I'm using it. I use it myself walking around and I use it in dialogue and all of the ways that I uh, have been working on real dialogue. Before I start that, I mean, is there anything that you want to say about this topic of false speech? in relation to where we are right now in our society with the kind of media that are confusing, our media are confusing. Do you have any thoughts about, you know, uh, any of that before we go into what the Buddha Well, I mean, thought? I think it's, it's, it's forcing many of us to really, really pay attention and to reinforce our own values 
and mm-hmm. to find the courage and mm-hmm. find the some kind of flexibility in the way that we speak so that we can not get caught by the in negative reactivity because it's so it can be so wounding and it can be so shocking and bewildering and and it's it's it takes a lot of skill to not get react the other thing that i wanted to i mean something that i was reflecting on as i was listening to you is in and in my own life that really helps me with all of this is the degree to which i stay committed to doing the inner work. Mm-hmm. And so from the interior world, that's the only place where I can feel that I have any sense of kind of where I can take responsibility by having that discipline. And so that helps me to not get caught as easily with, you know, in all this reactivity um, and all the anger that's out there. And also to, you know, what it, what it feels like to be in a post-truth world and to have the values that you care so much about being eroded. It's a very painful experience. Well, you know, we're in a period of time where we cannot trust journalism and we can't trust media. And so sometimes it's really hard to know what would be reliable in regard to truth. And I have to say that I've been studying a book that is called The Foundation of Buddhist Practice. It's the Dalai Lama and Tubton Chodron who have assembled this uh, to help us understand as Westerners what Buddhism holds to be as the truth and how you discover the truth. One of the things that that the Dalai Lama brings up in this text is that when you say to yourself, this is true, or I know this to be true, you need to find out how you know that. Uh-huh. Because there are what he calls reliable and unreliable cognizers. Right. And often what happens is that we take our own opinions to be a reliable cognizer. For example, you know, let's just say that, you know, you say to yourself, well, you know, I, I know that I need to eat a certain diet because I've read about it and this, this kind of diet leads to these outcomes. And so I need to follow that diet. Now, when you start to examine how you know that, you may not know that at all from your own experience. So you're, you're taking some information that you've gotten from someplace, and then you are actually believing that information, but what on what basis? Uh, so I find people, for example, often in psychotherapy will tell me about so-called genetic factors. They will tell me about, you know, ideas that they have about their families, about a mental illness that's been inherited. They will also tell me to some extent about how uh, they understand the brain to be working, particularly neurotransmitters and how those neurotransmitters affect our moods. Now, um, I, I'm not being critical of people telling me this, but I'll often ask them, now, on what basis do you know that? And so usually it is they've listened to some podcasts, mm-hmm. they've listened to some TED Talks, mm-hmm. but they're very far removed from the science of genetics. They're very far removed from the science of neuroscience, you know. Are they able to be, you know, to stand firm in their own direct experience of cause and effect? Well, it's uh, or the, they need to validate it. Through well, all you can't other. always, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. there are many things you can't know directly through yeah. your experience, and so then you have to go to somebody who's reliable. But I, I, I believe that where people often fall short is that 
they take a, a report to be reliable based on their own preferences and feelings. And often it's along the lines of, you know, I want something like I want to be healthy. I want to be thinner. I want to be smarter. Sure. I want to protect my children. Sure. Now, you know, that makes sense on right, that level, right. but you need to be most careful when you have that kind of desire, because it's very likely that you'll start to be sort of persuaded by something that you know nothing about. I mean, one of the, the big problems that I feel that we've suffered from in the last 20 years is all the deception around psychiatric medications. And I don't want to go into that right now because it's not the subject that we're talking about. But what I would say is that ordinary consumers too quickly believed in, in these drugs, which were never well-researched. And in order to know that they weren't well-researched, you had to read the research. And of course, people didn't want to be troubled right, by reading right, the research. Right, right. And then- They want the pill. <laughs> they wanted the pill. And also they, they wanted to embrace a model of the brain that was absolutely false. And it was being offered by you know, the, the National Institute of Mental Health. It was being offered by the American Psychiatric Association, by the pharmaceutical companies. Right, right. So, you know, so you want to believe those authorities. Right, right, right. But if, if, you're pretty if you're pretty far removed from the science that you want to believe in, it really behooves you to recognize that you don't know that this is just a belief or an opinion. It is not knowledge. And you can't really speak truthfully to the knowledge unless you investigate it. And consequently, people get into all sorts of harmful conflicts because they don't know what they're talking about. But they talk about it as though they do know because they want to believe based on their preferences and desires. So getting back to what's a reliable cognizer or source for knowing the truth and what's unreliable, by and large, your own desires and preferences are pretty unreliable. You know, th those are taking you in the direction of you want what you want when you want it. And of course, there's no problem with that in itself. It's just that if you combine that with, you know, embracing some sort of truth in a body of knowledge that you know nothing about, and then you begin to become an expert on that so-called knowledge, then that creates and can create a great deal of harm. And I would put into this mix everything from, you know, sort of the specialized study of neuroscience and genetics and DNA to the specialized study of consciousness after death. I mean, people go with what they feel is the kind of right thing but they may not study any of it. And then they'll take a strong position on knowing the truth on that, where actually what they've got is a bunch of preferences and opinions with, with maybe not very reliable, as they're called here, cognizers, because they don't know that field of knowledge. So, you know, I'm, I'm mixing this all into the issue of speaking the truth. So, you know, to speak the truth... Well, it also helps in speaking the truth to have an understanding or some relationship to the deeper, the deeper meaning of compassion, love, trust, 
all of those those more well more noble uh, aspirations as as a human being. I mean that does help you in terms of speaking more kindly. Well, than it, having it to could understand it could all help of the you nuances see. of what you're talking about. Well, you know, for it, the it, general for ge- general. No, no, I I actually think these aren't hard to understand. I the know nuance, you don't. I don't. Yeah, no. <laughs> I mean, no, that, you the really nuances do. <laughs> the nuances having to do have to do with your own modesty and your own humility. I, I don't think they have so much to do with kindness, but to recognize what you don't know and to really recognize that in a clear and personal way. In that way, I mean, the Dalai Lama is saying, if you don't know something, for example, the, the theory and research on rebirth, then just don't know it. Don't take a position that says that's not true. Because once you do that, you put yourself into conflict with somebody who says it is true and you don't really know. And so what I'm saying really is that when you're speaking, to be careful about what you know and what you don't know. And if you have an opinion based on your preferences or even your own experiences, you can, you know, of course say, this is my opinion. And this is my opinion based on my preferences and my experience. But actually, I haven't studied this. I don't know about this. And so speaking the truth, in my view, really has to do more with recognizing that the world that we're in is a confusing world. As we've said many times, samsara is this entanglement of life and death, good and bad, virtue and non-virtue, you know, up and down. Well, and again, when you all of those things about, are tangled. Yeah. And people, you know, uh, it, once they can understand or practice both and versus either or, you know, where right. it's not fixed. So right. they can keep the field a little bit more open. And that's a very kind of healthy, I think, um, experimental approach well, to it's say, all, yeah. you know, both and, and to not get not to get fixed. Well, and to, to see that what you know and what you don't know, right. you know, that yeah. you may want yeah. to know something. Right. and But in order to actually know it, you'd have to meet people that have studied it. I mean, again, from the perspective of the Dalai Lama and the Buddha, you first, you trust your own experience. Right. Um, but you can be deluded in your experience right. as well. But you can also but, be in your own experience and just be in your own experience and allow another to be different from you. Yeah, yeah, you can. And you don't and, you know, have but to you, even engage because you don't have the 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 skill or the wisdom or the know-how or yeah you, you could you be know what I mean? you could be, be modest be, about your experience yeah, and um, kind but well <laughs> kind is a, another category well, i think than that, truth i mean, I, I mean we, we want yeah. to start with truth and yeah. we'll get to kind yeah. but i yeah. i think starting with the idea that you would speak the truth based on your experience which you know for example your memory that you may have the memory like these two people about this conversation 30 years ago. They each one has a memory of of having said things and heard things. That memory is based on their experience, but it might not really be true. It might not be accurate. It's simply the way they remember something. So what you could say the truth is about that memory is that it's a memory. It's not an account of what happened. It's your memory of what happened. But then there's the experience that comes in where they had the opportunity to hear each other and have that discovery. I mean, there's a process at play here in terms of how we awaken 
or how we come to know things. Well, there is, but I mean, I, I'm saying... They could have carried that same belief structure for the rest of their lives, but they had this opportunity in relation to coming to you where they had this discovery, and it was life-changing. Well, I don't know if it was life-changing. Or whether I mean, let's say just, at that moment, yeah. they were surprised. Yes. And so the surprise was simply that yeah. their experiences were so different. Right. But what can happen then is that people can then begin to argue about what really happened. You know, like, so, you know, they begin to go into the evidence. Oh, it was three o'clock and I made this call to you. So you couldn't have done again, this or that. again, isn't that the way you discover? Uh, not by necessarily. in that way. No, I would say you discover, again, by the modesty of your own experience. It's like, if you say to the other person, here's my memory of what happened 30 years ago, that's the truth. This is my memory. Now, if the other person says, here's my memory, Again, that's speaking the truth because that's that person's memory. But if you get into this third category, what objectively happened, you cannot know it. You cannot know it because there's no recording of it. There's So most of what we go through in life, we actually construct it and remember it and perceive it in a way that has to do with our own self-protection, our preferences, our desires, and so on in our little snow globe of experience, subjective experience. And we can know what we remember, and we can say, I remember it this way, but where people often go off that track is this is the way it was or is. Then they'll get into collecting evidence, making arguments, but that doesn't have any basis in truth because nobody can know it's over that's done with and all you can do is to say what your perception is Mm -hmm. so again getting back to the issue of speaking the truth part of learning that skill is to recognize what the truth is to recognize that it has to do with your own account of how you saw things and then the knowledge or wisdom that you may have accumulated by practicing, studying, knowing a field, a discipline, or knowing about, you know, how things have developed in your own life, or knowing how to, how to do something like how to make art or how to make movies, those are skills and disciplines. So the, the way that you speak the truth is to speak what you believe has actual meaning within the framework of your knowledge. And then you can cite reliable others who actually do know something. And the Buddha said that the way that you speak the truth is first to speak from your experience. And your experience sometimes, again, is very modest. You know, like, I only know this kind of thing. And I know this, though. I've done this, and I know it. And then two, to to go to reliable reporters who have had more experience than you've had, who have more wisdom, who have more knowledge, and and figure out who they are, who are the trustworthy ones that you can find out what the truth is. And then the third way is to, when you hear them speak, actually use some logic to find out whether they are making assumptions that are valid from their knowledge and that those assumptions can be tested logically. So again, this this path towards truth from a Buddhist perspective is undergirded both by knowledge and wisdom as well as logic 
logic comes into it too, that you would be able to ask yourself, how does that person know what he claims to know? And what are his assumptions? Is he asking good questions? Is he making assumptions that stand up? So it's a pretty big menu coming from the teachings of the Buddha to speak the truth. You know, it's got a lot of levels. It isn't, and you know, and there's, there's usually an admonition against speaking of the faults of others. That's, you find that in the precepts, you find that in the Dhammapada. And I'm not sure that I completely embrace that, that teaching is the idea is that you don't speak about the faults of others because you don't understand them. You can't actually understand where they, where their lives, the circumstances, the causes and the effects and so on have come to this point. And what if people have no interest in Buddhism? I think people are interested in the truth. I think people are interested in suffering less. Right. And I think everybody is interested in the happiness for themselves and their own families. And so from my point of view, that's what I'm talking about. You know, that how do you discern in your own life that you are speaking the truth, especially if you get into an argument or a debate? And then how do you know what you know? If you, if you claim to know things, how do you actually, you know, know what you know? And that is, again, it's a complicated kind of engagement with what's called epistemology. But I think that the Buddha gave some very practical, helpful hints on it. And one of, the, and one of those is this sort of rule of thumb that you speak from your experience, that you go to reliable reporters to find out things you don't know and then that you also examine what they say from logic not not just from your own experience but you know are they speaking from assumptions that actually make sense or not and, and if you use these tools it's actually it's actually a lot easier to sort through the media to sort through what you hear and what you see because you can begin to approach it more from the point of view of is this a reliable reporter source whatever how do you know it's reliable and is there a logic and what are the assumptions in that logic and then not to repeat something that actually seems not to measure up to these criteria for truth because once you start repeating things you then can add to the confusion and the harm you know so it's that's the the sort of rule of thumb from speech practice of the Buddha, the very first rule is to speak the truth. And if you don't know the truth, it's better not to speak then. You know, it's better just to wait and find out what's true. Um, so the second, the second rule is the one you keep going to, which is to be kind in what you say. And so, you know, if you're going to speak the truth, the Buddha pretty much generally recommends not doing it harshly and even gives an example, like um, if somebody says, you know, something like, uh, well, I mean, I don't think in his period of time they would say, like, do you like this shirt? You know, does this shirt look good on me? Uh, basically, you should say very kindly, you know, in some way, sure, that shirt looks fine. I mean, the Buddha is saying, don't go into every nook and cranny of your experience. Like if you think, oh, that's a terrible color orange. You know, that, that orange doesn't look good. Now, if the person is genuinely asking you, 
you know, what do you think of this shirt and this orange color, then you can give an honest answer to that. But if they're saying, how does this shirt look? Does it look good? To say, yeah, that looks good, even if you are thinking, gosh, that's a bad color for you. So, you know, the, the Buddha is not saying that you should harshly say, oh, you know, that's terrible, or you look ugly or whatever. Well, you don't want to but harm No, Yeah, not to speech. harm, not to harm What's with the truth. It's a lot of courage for people to even begin to speak the truth or even to know what their truth is. Well, I would you say know, it I takes... Mean, it's one thing if you're studying the Dharma and you've got your rules and regulations and all of that kind of stuff, but for the for, for most people, that's... that's well, they I, have their, they, I mean, I, I'm looking, I guess, to... No, see, I beg to differ because uh, 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 yeah, I see people simpler, in psychotherapy uh, yeah, and yeah. I see how complicated yeah. their lives get sure, sure. by all of this. But I guess I'm thinking is. of the people who don't go to psychotherapy or don't have all of these. I mean... Uh, I think um, it's good to have some compass in life sure, to you get have through. your values. You have your values. What your values actually aren't the truth. I mean, again, I think the reason that I look to Buddhism for a guide is because life is so confusing and complicated. And I don't think that these guidelines are that hard to follow. I mean, you seem to feel they are, but well, I, 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 think, I find I mean, that I they're not that hard. I live by those in my own life, but I find in my life you know, moving through the world, it's 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 much harder for a lot of people. I mean, it just becomes too, it's confusing, it's overwhelming, and, and they don't necessarily believe in Buddha, or they're not into spirituality. And so then so they're, what, if you're are, just in yeah. the food fight of life, or, like that, you know, just like what live, you feel, what your opinions well, are, or they're trying to live from a place of integrity in their own lives. Well, so I, again, you know, ability. I, I yeah. think that there's that there's no better way to do that than to check out what you mean by integrity. Yeah, and I think you having know. a spiritual practice or having, you know, having a, you know, walking a wisdom path or trying to understand your own ignorance and all of that is 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 very important work. Well, see, I don't think of it as something like impractical. I think that if you actually take the steps to speak slowly and to check what you're going to say and to see if it's true and to see if it's kind because we haven't talked really about kindness yet, I think actually that pays off on every level, on a practical basis, I do too. much more than just I do just too. kind of yeah. reacting, right. you know, in the food fight of life, right. saying what you think is true, well, think even if you also, haven't checked it out. I think when you say you don't know, but if you if you choose to speak with kindness or to speak with compassion or to be willing to listen, you can discover something. Well, of course you can, but then you need to find out whether well, you're yes, discovering something that's true or something that's false. I mean, so, you know, you could listen to Osama bin Laden. He was a poet. He was a great speaker. But if you were persuaded by what he was saying, even in listening closely, you could be very misled about what to do in your life, you know, uh, because he was speaking about killing others in order to embrace the truth of his particular point of view on the world, his particular point of view on Islam. Well, I think when I use the word, you know, when I'm talking about, you know, speaking truth kindly, or when I talk about compassion or any of those qualities, you know, I'm not talking about qualities that create harm or kill or, or create negativity. I so mean, so what, yeah. we're, what we're trying to talk about is speech, right? right. And how we speak right. 
to each other and right. to ourselves. Right. So the the very first sort of rule of thumb is to speak the truth. And that's where it gets complex because you have to actually begin to investigate what's true. Right. So if you're speaking to yourself with all this negativity and the negativity is based on some you're impossible idea. Well, well, no, or you may just go around miserable and depressed and feeling like your life is awful when in fact nothing really bad is happening to you. It's because you're speaking to yourself that way all the time. So it's a great relief if you stop that. And if you recognize that that's not true, you know, if you go around always comparing yourself negatively to others, that's not based on a truth. So again, this idea of speaking the truth to yourself and then to others has huge consequences. Sure. And, and you're so, talking again of, you know, small truth and big truth, personal um, truth and, and collective truth. Well, I would say I'm talking about the truth from a very logical point of view, whether you know what you're talking about right. yeah. and how you know it. So, um, you know, in the, in the speech practice, the very first rule is to speak the truth. And then the second rule is to speak the truth kindly to bring kindness into it. And so, you know, kindness is not being nice. It is right. not just having good manners or right. something, but it's actually having the, the feeling that we all suffer and that the person that you're speaking to has had suffering and has had difficulties and wants happiness just like you. So that you don't speak to that person in a harsh way. And that includes yourself, that when you speak to yourself harshly, like, you know, I've heard people say to themselves, shut up to themselves. And that's actually a harshness towards yourself, which actually creates then usually an off-centered feeling where you, you, your, your, your energy is taken up with the frustration you feel towards yourself because you haven't treated yourself kindly. And so speaking to yourself kindly, speaking to others kindly, you start first by knowing what's true and speaking that, and then actually casting it in a way that you recognize that life here is difficult and that there's suffering for everybody and for yourself. And so if you're tired or you're hungry or you are in some way needing some sort of care, if you speak to yourself kindly about it, often you can even help yourself with that care you need. But if you speak to yourself harshly, you may deny yourself the care. So again, that speaking kindly, the truth, takes a lot of airtime. You know, people spend a lot of time in that particular engagement in life, speaking and to you themselves. Have that, whole, that whole industry of affirmations and trying to give people, you know, positive self-talk to help as an aid to help them with their negative self-talk. Yeah, 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 I know. And we have talked about affirmations. They can work up to a point, but they often put a band-aid over right, what you exactly. are unconsciously you saying yeah, to yourself. You, go to the root. you know, yeah, it's yeah. like you have to listen to your yeah, own, yeah. your internal talk. You know, you just have to listen in to what you're saying to yourself. It's really easy, very, very easy to do that because we're all talking to ourselves yeah. pretty much all the time. And so it doesn't take much to listen into it. And then you can begin to see what your internal speech is like. You know, are you speaking the truth? 
Are you speaking it kindly? Are you speaking to yourself truly and kindly about what you need in any given moment, about what you're doing, about also about what you're about to say, for example, that you that you so, check with yourself. Yes, and, you're, and that is also a mindfulness practice, and that's a commitment to waking up and to have an interest in your own life and to pay attention and all of those, all yeah, of that. Yeah, and I mean, you know, yeah. I think that there's no alternative. Like, what's the alternative? Right. Just to suffer? Just, yeah. Just to be dragged or through to life? Think that, that you have no choice or that you're powerless or that you, you, you don't allow for the possibility that things can be different in your life. Well, if you actually believe that you have no choice, yes. you're, you're, you're not speaking right. the truth. Right. You're just right. not speaking the right. truth to yourself because you do have, right. you do have choice. And of course, you know, I understand that people can be in very, a lot of pain and a lot, both physical pain and mental pain in which it's very difficult for them to pay attention to what they say to themselves and what they say to others. So in those conditions, it's likely that you just are dragged around by your suffering. But then there are other moments where you can examine it and you can begin to change a habit. And it's a very simple habit to change the way you speak to yourself and to speak to yourself kindly. Like, you know, to say, okay, dear, are you hungry right now? (laughs) You know, so let's get something to eat. Or, okay, are you tired now? So let's go to sleep. You know, those are kind of simple involvements with your own talk to yourself, your own internal talk that are not complicated, deal with the truth. They deal with it kindly. I think that they result in very big changes really quickly. But a lot of people just don't pay attention to that, yeah. or they don't know or this the, teaching. They don't right, know this, right. or this the kind paying, of thing. Or just being able to pay attention to catch themselves to pay attention well if you when it comes to internal talk honestly it's going on all the time when when you try to drop the talk that's when you usually need a little meditation skill right right, but to listen in on it is pretty universal i mean you know i can always when i'm talking with people in therapy or otherwise say okay stop and tell me just tell me what's going on in your mind right now. What is your mind saying? Right, right, and people right. can do that. You yes, know, that's, yes, that's yes, not hard to yes, listen in on. Yeah. So the, the third aspect of the speech practice, though, in terms of, you know, the way that, um, that we, we speak to ourselves and others uh, is this issue of um, saying only what is necessary. And so when you speak the truth kindly, it's a good idea not to say too much. I mean, I've, something that I say to myself, which I just made a note of here because it just it helps me to remember, and that is to is to don't make don't make the perfect an enemy of the good. Mm-hmm. You know, and just but also you know the thing of again kindness, compassion, care to be caring. I mean, in the degree to which we can do that with ourselves and develop that skill is also the de- the degree to which we can perhaps you know have that in our outer actions in the world well or in our speech to others yes especially you know exactly on that yes of course because that is again if we go back to the teaching about wisdom that wisdom if we practice the the core of wisdom and i think actually speaking the truth kindly is one of the cores of wisdom yes uh if we practice if we practice that wisdom it will increase yes if we don't practice it our wisdom will decrease and we just go back into the the 
fundamental chaos of ignorance. Yeah, in the food Not fight of life. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. But then again, <laughs> with all due respect to the unconscious, <laughs> I mean, when you're unconscious, you're unconscious. So this is of this is a call, in a sense, to to help uh, people remember that we can wake up and it's possible. Well, you know, I I don't know if speaking the truth kindly will really lead on its own to waking up because there are so many other skills involved with that. But I do think that speaking the truth kindly will increase your wisdom if you follow that path clearly. If you actually look at what is the truth, what kinds of assumptions are you making, who are you listening to, right. what, what are, what's the logic of what they're saying, and then you add the kindness to it, which is that the, we're all suffering and we all actually want happiness. And um, so that you, particularly in regard to yourself, are always open to caring for yourself and to seeing yourself in the light of what's true and what's kind. Um, and then I think that that kind of practice of, of seeing yourself in the light of what's true and what's kind may open up an, another level in which you can engage with the issue of working with your mind in a way that, that uh, you begin to look at how can you get a bigger vision right. or wake up to love or wake up to being able to relate through hatred right. to the other side of the difficulties. Um, but uh, just the simple practice of speaking truth kindly to yourself and to others is itself um, very, very interesting yeah, path to very, follow. Yes, yeah. and a very important stepping stone. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. So thank you, Polly. Yeah, all thank right, Eleanor. Your... <laughs> and I and I know you you always want to make it as easy as possible <laughs> for people to do these things, but or to the... not not get caught by oh it's too intellectual oh it's too you know I mean people get they they flip back into all their imperfections and so that becomes something that that's becomes like real... not speaking the truth right, kindly. Right, that's right, just right, you know right, har harassing right. yourself. Yeah, that's right. And that, so, you know, this idea of speaking the truth kindly is a simple idea. It is a simple, it simple be in idea. Neon, you know, it should we should have it in, in neon to help us to remember. And yeah. and yet, yeah. people really might reject it simply yeah. because yeah. they they say, "Well, it's too much trouble for yeah, me to listen exactly. to what I'm saying," yeah. and so on. But see, I would I would say back because I really do feel this. I mean, I have a real concern for for actually helping people to live lives that have less suffering. Yes, and, and, and you know, quality of life. Yes. So what's the alternative? Yeah, yeah. The alternative is always right. worse. You know, I mean, there's yeah. really a deep truth in life, which is yeah. that you can become wise or you can become ignorant. Yeah. And that's just really very deeply yeah. true. So, you know, it's like, is the cost of of noticing whether you speak the truth kindly too great or when you start to notice the the negativity in your speech i mean i i have certain friends who just get locked into this negativity or upset around all the stuff that's going in the world and i feel like times like i'm playing tennis because i want to keep hitting back you know to them that they're they're locked into this negative worldview they can't even hear themselves so you know that to me is again that's not the truth no. and it's not kind. Yeah. So typically though, when I hear somebody speaking like that, I generally don't say much yeah. in response yeah. because I think they're 
I don't understand, so I don't know why they're What's doing that. that yeah, yeah, and so yeah. saying less usually is more. Uh-huh. And um, my concern would be not to throw them further into attacking right. themselves or attacking yeah, others, exactly. because uh, that's Sometimes where the you hatred just want them comes to out. See that that's what's happening to them. I mean, again, doing it where you're speaking kindly, mm-hmm. you know, or you're you're you're, yeah. you're coming from compassion, you're coming from caring for them, um, but to help them notice that they're stuck in that. They're well, stuck in that kind of negativity. Sometimes you can ask a question yeah. that that actually might bring up a yeah. little bit of awareness, but. Right. I think when people have habituated to to being unkind, to speaking negatively about themselves and others, yeah. and then they've habituated further to believing they know the truth when right. they're actually right. ignorant, it's Welcome very hard. It's, well, it's hard to enter into it. <laughs> right. You know, it's it hard is. to enter into yes, it, and it so. Is. You know, that's again why I'm doing this podcast right. with you is to try to put something out there that doesn't get into. Uh, a certain kind of debate, which I think um, degenerates quickly yes. into more yeah. ignorance and yes. more unkindness. Yes. So yeah, exactly. So yeah, so yes. so you know, sometimes yeah. when somebody is just relentlessly negative, yeah, it's, it's hard a lot to of, a lot of uh, repercussions come yeah. out of that. Yeah, yes. it's hard yes. to know yeah. what to say, and yeah. so sometimes better to say nothing or to say something that would focus on something that you hold in common, like all this, you know, the sun is beautiful today uh-huh. or, you know, a beautiful room we're right. in. And that because you're both there right, together right. and you can and agree we're all on standing that. standing under the same sky. Yeah. Yes. Well, maybe not, but, but we, you know, at least we can talk about the weather usually right. and have some sort of sense of common. Thank you, Polly. Okay, thank Eleanor. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks so much for listening. And to continue the conversation, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find past episodes of the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and CastBox. Enemies from War to Wisdom is recorded and produced by Chris Coltrane.